Martin, and this Sunday evening where we have Sunday school is kind of a weird thing, putting two things together, uh, but maybe it's not a bad idea, and I hope that it blesses you, and we're looking in July at a little bit different thing than we've done in a long, long time. Uh, I went to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we were there last week, and we're just kind of kind of talk about some things this month. It's the birthday of America. We celebrated July the 4th. In fact, in my neighborhood, some people are still celebrating it. But um, I saw a, a Facebook meme today that said it's July 7th and people are still shooting off fireworks and they almost caught my Christmas decorations on fire. But, uh, you know, we have a tendency to drag things out when we enjoy them. And uh, we love our country, and we love the fact that we can celebrate it. We love fireworks and hot dogs and hamburgers and getting family together and all of those kind of things. And uh, we try to remember our freedom, at least we do in our family. And I hope your family does too, because that's important. It's more than just the 4th of July. Everybody has a July 4th on their calendar. It's Independence Day for America, and that's really what we need to stress. God has blessed us with a wonderful nation and with wonderful freedoms, and uh, we never should take those things for granted. It really is something to celebrate, and we do pray that God would bless America. Uh, I know we don't deserve it, and I know we're a sinful nation, and we ought to be repenting, and I pray about that, asking God to forgive us of our many sins, especially the sins of murdering babies in their mother's wombs, uh, those type of things, what we've done to marriage, what our morals are like and our ethics, all of those kind of things from top to bottom. It's a systemic problem in our nation, and uh, we are reaping the results of that now as we see rioting in the streets and uh, it's just the result of so many things, things that we look and we say, how in the world can we possibly fix these things? And it is a little bit frustrating. Uh, for those of you who are my age, I think you probably feel a little bit like I did. When I turned 20, that was the beginning of the Reagan Revolution. There was a resurgence of patriotism and American pride and economic growth. It was also the rise of the religious right. Christian people uh, kind of flexing their muscle in the political process. And I think back then we thought we are going to make some changes that are going to bring America back to where she needs to be spiritually and morally, politically, all of those kind of things. And uh, yet we have found out that we may not be handing off the baton to a new generation in the way that we thought we would. I really thought that we would be handing uh, our children a better America than our parents handed us. I don't think we're going to make that, do you? And uh, when I think about that, I go, dear Lord, what are you going to do? We deserve your judgment, and we deserve everything that we're getting. And uh, then I thought about the line in the song, God shed his grace on thee. And I'm reminded that grace is always undeserved. We, we never get to a point to where we say we're worthy of grace. That's an oxymoron, I guess you would say. And uh, we don't deserve it. We deserve the wrath of God, but we are praying for the grace of God, that God would restore our land. Now, how is he going to do that? And I think that Christian people, people like you, people like me, really are the key. Now, we're not the power brokers on anything, and nobody really cares 
what Greg Keenan has to say about anything. But I think, though, that if there are enough of us, people like you and people like me, ordinary citizens who will speak up, who will vote, who will educate our children properly, and uh, who will do what is right and be salt and light in this land, I think we actually can have more of an influence than we even think that we can. And uh, that comes from a proper understanding of some things. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people want a king. And the people want a king because, well, Samuel's getting old. He's not as sharp as he used to be. He's not as spry as he used to be. He's not going to be around forever. Generations do pass. We understand that. And there usually is a little bit of, of worry. What's this next generation going to be like? Where are the prophets going to come from? Where are the generals going to come from? Where are the leaders going to come from? I understand that. We've all felt that from time to time. And probably all of us can look back and say that I wish that so-and-so was still around. I wish they were still alive. I'd like to have some of their wisdom. And uh, that they, it's been that way since the beginning of time, folks. It's just the way it is. And we have to understand that a sovereign God has chosen us, remember in the book of Esther, for such a time as this. And so when we think about it, we uh, look around and we go, where are the Washingtons and the Lincolns and those kind of people? Uh, well, they're not supposed to be here. They, they did what they were supposed to do in their time. This is a time for us. And uh, we don't want to take uh, a bunch of pride and arrogance and all of that. We just simply want to go humbly before God and say, God, why have you chosen me for this generation? It's a challenging, challenging time. But Paul's not here and uh, Isaiah's not here, but I am. And uh, yet we're different people, but the same God and the same word. You see what I'm saying? And we've got to stand up, rise up, and be counted. Well, the people in Samuel's day were kind of worried about that. Samuel's off of the scene. His sons are not doing right. Sometimes godly people don't have good children, do they? And so uh, they're worried, and they say, we want a king. Samuel took that personally, as if, them wanting a king is a rejection of what he's done for all of these years and the way that he has served the people. And he goes before God with all of this. And you remember God says, Samuel, don't take this personally because they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Now give them what they want. And then Samuel does something, and these verses resonated with me. He warns them, and this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord, telling them about what life will be like under a king. Now, is it all going to be bad? Well, no. There were some good kings that ruled in Israel and in Judah. But there weren't very many of them, if you look back through your biblical history. If you look at world empires, there have been some really good, benevolent empires, but there haven't been very many of them. And uh, I think about uh, the negative aspects of having a king, kind of a dictator type of a person, somebody who has a uh, a sovereign who has absolute authority over the people, what are the chances, what are the chances that that could go well? Well, it could go well, and it could go very well if you have a really good king, a king who loves the nation, loves the people, and uses his power and his influence and his legislative skills and all of that to get things done. Man, that would be a whole lot better than trying to go through Congress, wouldn't it? 
Well, at the same time, what are the odds that you might have a bad king? And here's my summation of it. They're very good. The chances of having a bad king are much greater than having a good king. Why would I say that? Because I'm a pessimist? Because uh, I, I see everything in a dark way? No, I'm a realist. I'm a realist. And the reality is that all of us are depraved human beings. You see, this is one of the beauties of our nation. Our founders understood biblical doctrine to some degree and they understood that the human heart is corrupt and it's wicked and that's why they came up with three branches of government and that's why those three branches of government are supposed to be uh, equal and they are supposed to kind of contend and fight together and those times when they can unite and stay together on things well we've got a good chance of that being a good piece of legislation a good piece of law and those times when they can't, sometimes people talk about gridlock in Congress. Well, sometimes gridlock can be a good thing because it can stop something bad from happening. Now, again, it could also stop something good from happening. We understand that. Human government is always going to be imperfect. And with that in mind, knowing about human depravity, knowing about uh, humans tendencies to grab for power and to grab possessions and to control and manipulate people. Let's read what God says through the prophet Samuel to his people Israel who are wanting a king and are actually rejecting the rule of God. And uh, it says, 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 10, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people, so this wasn't just Samuel's idea. This is from God, who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Now, I want you to notice as we read through this how many times the word take is used in here. The word take, okay? And we find the first of them right here. He will take your son's and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. All the ceremonial things as well as the uh, security things, I suppose, would be there. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take, there it is again, your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, and he will take, there it is again, the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants, and he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys. I always found it interesting that he put the young men and the donkeys together. Ha ha. Uh, and put them to his work. And he will take... How many times are we going to see this? He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer in that day. In other words, you're going to reap what you sow. You've got to live with what you have chosen and the consequences of your decisions. 
Now, uh, then as well as now, as we get into a uh, political election uh, cycle, we see this a little bit more, but it's always been the truth. Politicians gain power and they gain favor by doing what? They promise things. Free health care, free phones, free whatever. You know, we've seen the, the gamut of it. And really all that is is a redistribution of wealth. Okay? Because the government really does not have any money except for what they take from you. And so in order to give someone else something free, they have to take money in and then they give money away. They take things in and then they give things away. And uh, we find that in this passage. How many times did Samuel tell them he will take, he will take, he will take, he will take? So let's talk about the king maybe in a way that's a little bit more uh, applicable to us. And instead of thinking about a king, which we really don't have, let's think about government. And uh, you remember the old saying that a government that is able to give you anything and everything you want is also a government that has the power to take anything they want from you. We forget that sometimes. And sometimes I hear people say, well, the government's paying for this. No, the government's not paying for anything. You're paying for it. I'm paying for it. Taxpayers, we are paying for it because the government doesn't produce money and the government doesn't have any money. Well, they can print money, of course, but that, all that does is decrease the value of it, but they can't really produce any goods or services or anything like that. That's what happens from the citizens, from our factories, from our farms, from people like us. And so they confiscate those things through taxation and other things and um, uh, that's how it works. Now, it's worse in uh, Samuel's day because a king can take it without any explanation, can he? So when we look at all of this, the word take comes up over and over and over again. And I think sometimes we forget these things. So let's uh, look at this. Maybe this will help you as you evaluate candidates, as you think about the form of government that we have and the pressure now people are wanting to move into a more of a socialistic uh, type thing, which always leads to totalitarianism, never leads to utopia. In fact, um, go back and read about the pilgrims when they first came here. They had the idea that we'll all be Christian people living together and working together and we'll pool all of our goods and everything we have, clothing, food, everything. We'll pool it together and then everyone just, you know, take what you need. And they found out that socialism doesn't work because there are some people that are going to take advantage of the system and either make themselves rich by taking more than they need or there are going to be some people that are not going to work as hard as other people do and uh, it destroys incentive and all of that. And so it, it didn't work out so well and it never ever does. But understand, even in the best forms of government, uh, number one would be, notice from this passage, governments always provide for themselves always now there may be a recession and you may lose your job and you may have to scrimp and you may have to budget and you may have to do without and your kids may be wearing raggedy clothes and you may be eating really cheap food and you may be having to curtail how much driving you do and you may have to turn your thermostat up or down depending on what you're using but I promise you one thing that'll never happen in Washington DC 
That'll never happen in the government. They will never have to really go back on anything. Or they will always have all of their needs met. They have all kinds of ways and all kinds of provisions, all kinds of things to get what they want. That seems to be Samuel's point. It doesn't really matter whether there is a drought and whether the crop didn't come in and whether you're struggling. The tax man is going to get his tenth of your crops and of your flocks. They're going to get what they want. Government always sees its needs provided for. Now, they may say they care about you and they're going to give this for you and they're going to do this for you and all of that. But it always comes at a very, very high price. Sometimes I wonder whenever we pay our tax money in, even when the government does what it should for the military, for defense, for Social Security or some of those things, how much of the money that you and I pay in actually makes it out there to those people because there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of administrative costs that have to be paid. But they will always, always get bigger. That's just kind of the way they work. And they're going to get more intrusive. Notice how the king is going to come in and take your sons and daughters and draft them and is going to take your crop and take your flocks, those kind of things. Well, in order to take a tenth of the crop, for example... You know what that means? They have to know how much your crop is in order to measure off a tenth. They don't just come in and say, well, we'll take this part and you keep the rest without knowing exactly what they're doing. And that means they're involved in your life and they know what you've planted. They know how many sheep you have. They know how many acres are in production. They know what the harvest is. They've got to employ people to do all of that. You see where I'm going with all of that? And so uh, they began to treat citizens as their property and um, government. I guess they treat them as government property. And there's always this tendency to where the government tends to think that they own everything and even that they own us and that they can control us. Uh, Samuel is pointing that out not as a positive, is he? He's pointing that out as a negative. It's human nature to gain power and to keep power during all of this. Makes me kind of sound like a political conservative, doesn't it? Number two, government takes, but it doesn't produce. All of what the government has, it comes from the people. It's the people's money, their crops, their flocks. Now, notice uh, one of the things that I might uh, take just a moment to say is that presupposes private ownership of property, doesn't it? Uh, anybody that thinks that the Bible advocates kind of a socialism or a communism where nobody owns anything and we just share everything and do that, you don't find that uh, in the Bible. Now, I know some people have said, well, that's what the early church did in the book of Acts in chapter 2, but that was voluntary. Remember that the people would sell their land and bring it in and put the money in the church at the apostles' feet so that it could be given to the poor. That was all voluntary. It was not confiscatory, we might say. It was not required. It was not like a tax or anything like that. They did it out of a willing and cheerful heart. And by the way, charity that is forced, charity that is required by the government mandates or whatever, is never going to be cheerful. 
It's never anything we're going to feel good about or be happy about. In fact, I think it tends to make us a little bit more selfish. I mean, after all, why doesn't the government take care of that? I pay my taxes. And we end up like Scrooge at the beginning of the movie, A Christmas Carol. You know, don't we have prisons and poor houses and all of that? Don't I pay enough already? You see, the Bible's mandate is for us to be cheerful givers, voluntary. And we do it because we feel led of the Lord to do that because of what he has done for us. And notice how Samuel seems to be pointing out in all of this that the opposite is going to take place. Government is going to take because, well, they don't have anything except what they get from you. And so the more it takes, then the less there is for the ones who actually produce it. If the government's going to take 10%, well, that might be fine, and that might even be fair. That might even be nice for a lot of us. But they're never going to be satisfied with that. There's always going to be the pressure to take 12 next year and to take 15 after that. And if 15 is good, then 20 or 25 or 30 is going to be a whole lot better. And uh, sometimes we try to say, well, if you're rich, then, uh, you know, it's okay. You can afford it. That's not really what it's all about. The idea is this doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us, right? And how much are they entitled to? Uh, that's a whole different issue, isn't it? But you understand where I'm going. Now, taxation is legitimate, and it's a biblical function of government. Israel's law required taxes, and uh, even the tithe system in the Old Testament was kind of a form of taxation, feeding the poor, funding the government, and uh, also um, um, providing for the needs of the, the priests and the ministers that were there. Jesus advocated paying taxes. You remember that? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And when there was a temple tax that was due, remember the story of catching the fish with the gold coin in it, uh, that type of thing. And Paul even commanded the early church uh, to do all of that. And in our form of government, we elect representatives to go uh, to Washington or to our state capitals or whatever. And uh, we're not a true democracy. It's not just mob rule, whatever we do and whatever we vote in. We have people that represent us and they represent our rights even if we are in the minority and not the majority. And uh, so they go there and they make promises and we elect them on the basis of their promises. And yet so many times, what do we do? We find that... Very few people really keep their word, or at least it seems that way. Now, I have people ask from time to time, well, should I be a Republican or should I be a Democrat? And I would say, well, you really ought to be a Christian in everything that you do. And your vote and your candidate and who you support ought to reflect your biblical values. What does this candidate think about the life of the unborn, for example? What does this candidate think about the sanctity of marriage or the freedom to worship? What does this candidate think about uh, those type of things? Are they more for freedom or are they more for a tightened, bigger government and control? I, for one, uh, fall in line with what our founders envisioned, a small, lean, and limited, less intrusive government. Uh, a lot of people don't feel that way. And they think a whole lot more about, you know, somebody in Washington controlling things rather than I like it local. 
on that. Well, that kind of tells you a little bit about my philosophy. And so you ought to think about those things, but actually vote for your values and find out what this person is like, what their history is, what their philosophy is, and um, especially who they surround themselves with. That is a big, big, big deal. Ben Franklin gave us a warning back at the beginning of our nation. He said, when the people find out that they can vote themselves money that will herald the end of the republic. And I think we're living in that day. People can vote for a certain candidate or a certain party or a certain position and then it benefits them uh, monetarily and brings things to them. Well, that uh, brings in an awful lot of corruption. A lot of corruption. So, number three. Notice that government can, tends to control rather than liberate. The word there, uh, not only the word take, but the word slave kind of jumps out at me. This whole thing talks about controlling people, controlling the economy, controlling taxation, controlling life. You will be his slaves. Now that may not be a tech technical thing, but under a king, it certainly would mean this. You can't do anything without the king's consent. You're certainly not going to be allowed to speak out against the king or go against the king. Boy, that got prophets in a lot of trouble back in the Old Testament, didn't it? And it's continued to do so. And so today we find that if we try to go against the flow and to go against those things, which Christians always do, Jesus told us that, we're always going to be going against the flow. Well, people don't always like that. And government is going to try to shut that down, going to try to control it. We've got to be careful. Uh, good kings, as we said earlier, are rare. And so are good governments. We've always got to be vigilant about those things. Um, John Adams the second president of the United States and the first vice president, by the way, he said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Boy, is that ever true. And that brings us to the last point. Number four, government is always imperfect. That is, until Jesus comes. And I don't care if you've got the best candidates, the best form of government, in the best situation. It's always going to be in, uh, imperfect. There's going to be some things that people just don't know. And so decisions that are made uh, in 2020 may have consequences that were unforeseen for 2025 or 2040 or something like that. Uh, that's always going to be the case. And hindsight, of course, is always 2020, isn't it? And we've got to remember that. Sometimes we look back and we say, back in the 80s, why didn't people do this? Well, it could have been because they just didn't have the information. They just didn't know. So that's one way they're imperfect. They're also imperfect because of the corruption that we have a tendency to harbor in our hearts. We can appear to be one thing and be something completely different. Remember Jesus talked about the Pharisees. Whitewashed tombs, he called them, and inside is corruption in dead men's bones. And politicians, especially in this television age, they know how to speak. They know how to package themselves. And you have no idea what's really in their hearts. That's why they campaign one way and then they govern 
a different way. That's always a problem. There's always kind of a grab for power and a grab for control and a reluctance, a reluctance to let go of that control. Why do you think people will go to Washington and serve 30, 40 years? Who would want to do that? There must be something in it for them and they must enjoy the power and the perks and that type of thing that uh, go with it. That's always going to be a problem and people many times uh, will lie. Uh, they are corrupt. So we've got to be on guard. Um, we've got to understand the depravity of man is not just a theological thing. It's practical. It's the way everything works and everyone works, especially in government. Peace and justice and righteous government are not going to exist perfectly until the return of Jesus Christ. James Madison called the father of the Constitution. He said... If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. Why did he say that? Because angels don't govern us, and we're not angels. We need government. Government is and can be a good thing, right? Anarchy is the worst, of all situations. So you need some government. And even bad government is better than no government. Um, but at the same time we want the best for our children. And for our grandchildren and others as they come up. Humans need accountability. They need restraint. They need motivation to do what is right. And uh, they need a limitation on power. The old saying is that power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, there's uh, something we can look forward to. Jesus, the child we celebrate his birth at Christmas, is going to return one day. And listen to what Isaiah says about him. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see that gives us something to look forward to. One day you and I are going to see a perfect government when Jesus sets upon the throne. Hallelujah for that. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But at the same time, that also gives us the framework. In America, the cry at our founding was, no king but Jesus. Oh, if only that were true. And only you and I as Christians can actually live under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ. May God grant that it might be so. And may we look at that passage in Isaiah and the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and remember these things about government and pray for our government and vote responsibly and also live as salt and light in the world uh, in which we live today. So I hope this gives you some insight. The Bible is uh, not something we have to make relevant. It is relevant to every part of our life, even to this political situation uh, and this corruption that we find ourselves in today. May God help us to be kingdom citizens 
as we live as citizens in this great country which the Lord has given us. God bless you.